Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. We all make mistakes, don't we? We make big mistakes and we make little mistakes. And because we're a people that make mistakes all the time, we desperately need second chances. What would life be like without second chances? I mean, we make little mistakes. Sometimes I have accidents and I do just boneheaded things. I didn't even think, I didn't realize. So with the people around me, I, I need them to give me the benefit of the doubt. I need some patience. I need an opportunity to restart, to do it again. I'll get it right this time. Little mistakes, a second chance. Big mistakes. I've made some sinful choices. I've made choices that are downright evil, rebellious, disobedient to God, unkind, unjust. And when that happens, I have to ask people for forgiveness. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry. I was wrong. I hurt you. Would you give me the opportunity to rebuild trust with you? You don't trust me. I get it. Give me a second chance. Give me an opportunity to start over, to redo this relationship. And we count on the fact that people around us are going to be patient and give us second chances. And if that's true in our horizontal relationships, what about our vertical relationship with the Holy God? How much do I need God to give me a second chance? And what's great about God is he does. I mean, I can say to God, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm a bonehead. God, I sinned against you. God, would you give me a restart, another chance, another opportunity? And throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, what we see and read is the Bible says that God is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. And it repeats that phrase over and over again, which is just another way of saying God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and 70th chances, that this is who God is, and I count on him to be that way. If he is not a God of second chances, I am in a hell of a fix. Now and forever. But I count on the fact that he's going to be patient with me and kind with me, and he's going to forgive me when I come to him, and that's incredible. But here's the deal. I find this in me, probably not with you, that I want God to be compassionate and gracious to, towards me, but not to others. God, don't trust her. Don't trust him. They say they're sorry and they want to restart, but don't believe them. Give me grace. Give me forgiveness. Give me patience. Not them. Send your fire down on them. Take them out, those people, that person. I am so quick to want God's grace and love and patience towards me and wish that he would be not gracious and not forgiving towards others. So we're in this series looking at the prophets, and the prophets speak to the people of Israel, and by extension, they speak to us. And what we're going to see in this edition of the prophets is that God is a God of second chances for everyone, not just me. 
that he's a God of second chances for everyone. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to grab the table of contents because you will never find Jonah without your table of contents. It's just four little chapters buried in your Bible. Take out your electronic copy, look up the table of contents, find Jonah chapter one. And Jonah is a really unique prophet. He's famous for something. Do you know what he's famous for? Yeah, he's the guy that got swallowed by a whale. And I get it, I hear you. This, some of you are listening, watching online, and you're going, see, this is why I don't believe in the Bible. Because people don't get swallowed by whales and live to tell about it. The Bible is a fairy tale. And I hear you, I understand you're skeptical, so am I. And we're gonna lean into that part of the story in just a moment together. But that's not actually what's unique about Jonah's story. What's unique about Jonah the prophet is he's an absolute jerk from beginning to end. From the beginning of the book of Jonah to the end of the book of Jonah, after he interacts with God and God gives him tons of grace and mercy, Jonah remains a jerk from beginning to end and God uses him as a prophet. I wouldn't want to spend one minute with Jonah. He's angry, he's mean, he's selfish. This is the prophet of God? And that's what makes him so unique and his story is so incredible because you get to lean into the story where God takes a jerk and gives him a second and third chance, which gives me hope because I have a lot of jerks in my life. And I am a jerk, so are you. If somebody hasn't told you that today, welcome to Faith Church, you're a jerk. But this is true, this is just reality, right? And so what I learn in Jonah's story is that God is patient and kind and gives second chances to people like me and people like you, which is so hopeful today. It's so awesome today. Would you pray with me? God, our world is a mess. The violence, the evil, senseless shooting, racism, sexism, confusion, disunity, pandemic, Ukraine, Russia, war, politics, suicide, drug addiction, anxiety. Where do we start? Everything's upside down. Everything's struggling. We are struggling. And we have set aside this short hour to hear from you. We desperately need to hear from you, God. So would you speak through your word today? Would you humble our hearts? Would you guide us? Would you comfort us? Would you convict us of sin? Would you teach us and lead us and stay close by us? And would you use us in a broken and dark world to be agents of love and grace? So show us today as we open up this story of Jonah the Jerk. Help us to see ourselves in this account that we might be used by you to bring light and love into our broken humanity. I pray through Christ our Lord, amen. Jonah chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. Its wickedness has come before me. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, which is the arch enemy of Israel. Jonah 
and all of Israel hated the people of Nineveh. And God says, Jonah, go there. Tell them that their wickedness has risen to my ears. Warn them to stop or else. Verse three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God sends Jonah to warn people of their wickedness and judgment to come. Instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes the exact opposite direction, west to Tarshish. He is running from God. Now, if God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, can you run and hide from him? So we know from the outset that this isn't going to end well. Jonah gets in a boat and sails as far in the opposite direction as he can from God's commands. Willfully, deliberately goes the complete opposite direction. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity, this storm. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them this. So Jonah's on a ship with sailors. These sailors worship all kinds of gods. These are experienced sailors who are scared to death. Jonah's the only one on the boat that knows the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He should be the one praying. He should be one seeking to serve and help other people. But in this moment, remember what he's doing. He's running from God. So he doesn't do anything to solve this problem. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men bid their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Interesting role reversal here, right? The pagan sailors who don't know who God is, they seek to do something and they worship God and they sacrifice to God, but the prophet, the godly person, the Christian, so to speak, in the situation is running from God, not seeking to honor God or to save others and the storm doesn't die down until they toss the prophet overboard. 
Verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Let's deal with this. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Let's talk about the whale of a story right here. You can absolutely dismiss this passage of Scripture and the Bible if you'd like right now. I'm happy for you to get up and leave, turn off the online, put your fingers in your ears. You don't have to pay attention to this at all. You can look at this and go, this is crazy. God doesn't send fish to swallow people. I can't prove it to you. I'm not going to try to. All I can say to you is what I believe and why. See, I believe that God is infinite and I'm finite. I believe that God is stronger and bigger and creator and sustainer and sovereign over every aspect of our world. Therefore, God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And that means he can do supernatural things, which are things that are not natural, including sending fish to do things that I can't think God could do. I am finite, he is infinite. And so throughout the Bible, what you find is a God who does things that are bigger, wider, stronger, crazy super miracles to get people's attention and go, I am gonna break into your natural world to cause you to think and see and experience things that are not normal, to grab your attention. And oh, by the way, this happens throughout the whole Bible, not just here in Jonah, and it's interesting because one of these great miracles is God sends his only son to the world through a virgin to die on a cross to forgive your sins. And I've talked to a number of Christians that believe that Jesus died and rose again, but they don't believe in Jonah. You can't have it both ways. He either is a God who does supernatural things and miracles, things that are blow our minds, or he isn't. He is not a tame God that you can box him in and say, God, you can do this, but you can't do that. That's not the God of the Bible. From beginning to end, he does supernatural things, include saying, I will forgive you from your sins because I sent my son to live and to die and to rise again. And by faith in him, you are forgiven and set free. That is a miracle of God's grace and strength, just like this story of Jonah is. And so if you look at this, I can't prove it to you, but I can encourage you to be logically consistent that either God is or isn't a God of miracles. Either he is bigger and stronger than every aspect of creation or he isn't. Either you're the same as God or he's bigger and better than you. You pick. And yet throughout the Bible, this is what we see, that he's going to use supernatural things and in this moment, he does this supernatural thing to give his son Jonah a second chance. And I love how matter-of-fact the text is. If I was writing a fairy tale about a person being swallowed by a fish, I'd go into crazy details about how big the mouth is and how big the fish was and how Jonah was sinking, sinking, sinking and grasping for air and this fish came and swallowed him and then the fish is digesting him and the stomach acid is going and rotting him and because it rots him, he starts to pray and cry out and feign. Like, I'll give you all these details, but that's not what the biblical text does. It says, God sent a large fish, swallowed Jonah, Jonah's inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Matter of fact, because the point of the story isn't about the fish. It's about the God who gives second chances to people. 
and he's gonna use anything he can in all kinds of supernatural ways to get our attention and to give us second chances. Jonah knows he's running from God. A massive storm kicks up. He finds himself being thrown overboard. The storm calms down. A fish swallows him. If you were inside a fish, what would you do? I mean, Jonah prays. He talks to God. He's inside this fish for three days. He's been running for his life. God gives him this second chance. He's inside this fish. He prays. And so what you find in Jonah chapter two is Jonah praying. And it's interesting because there's a level of humility in Jonah's prayer, but there's also a level of not so humble, right? There's never a moment in his prayer to God that he says, God, I was a total jerk. I should have never run from you. Please forgive me. I want to be used by you to help Nineveh. He, he acknowledges God's greatness. He says, I'm going to talk to people on your behalf, but he never owns up and says, I was sorry, I was wrong. And at the end of three days in the belly of the fish, God says, commands the fish to toss Jonah up on dry land, and here comes the second chance. Chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, does this sound like Jonah's really putting his whole heart into this? Can you imagine being given a second chance by God, being in the belly of a fish because you deliberately ran away from God? God gives you a second chance, extends grace to you in an incredible way, and instead of going, God, I'll serve you joyfully with whatever you ask me to do, he's kind of just going through the motions. Do you hear what he says? I kind of hear it in a Ben Stein voice. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, like, this is the sermon he preaches. He goes from place to place throughout the city, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, it's kind of like going to Allentown or Philadelphia or New York City and someone with a megaphone shouting at you, 40 more days and the city will be overthrown. I mean, it's so missing of any compassion, any reason why, any love. He's going through the motion and he preaches this sermon, barely obeying, verse five, but the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. All symbolic of these pagan, evil archenemies of Israel are repenting because of a pathetic sermon that Jonah preaches. Repent and turn. Verse 10, when God saw that they had done, then they turned from their evil ways. God relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Not because of how great Jonah's sermon was, because it's a pathetic sermon. But because of how great God is. This is his character. He gives the people of Nineveh a second chance. Sees their behavior, sends a prophet. The prophet preaches a pathetic sermon. The character of God is these people turn and repent, even though the sermon stunk. Yea, God. And you would think in this moment, Jonah would be like, God, I trust you, I worship you, I love you. But now turn to the final chapter, chapter four, verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What seemed wrong? God relenting and showing mercy to Nineveh seemed wrong to Jonah. 
He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Are you tracking what's going on here? God shows him mercy and grace and rescues Jonah over and over again. And now he's angry and he would rather die than his enemies get grace and mercy from God? Verse four, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And the answer is no, it is not right for Jonah to be angry. God has given him grace and mercy. His role was to give grace and mercy to other people. Now that other people got grace and mercy, he's angry about it? And if you read the rest of chapter four, it's an interesting story, really fascinating. Jonah, I think at this moment, has a little temper tantrum, my version of the story. He has this little temper tantrum, and he's so ticked that God would be gracious and merciful to the Ninevites. He goes out of town and pouts on the side of a hill. And it's almost like he's looking at Nineveh and going, hey, I know these dirtbags. They're going to turn back to their evil ways, and then God's going to rain fire down, and I want to be a front row seat to see it. And he goes and pouts and sits outside of the city. And it's really hot in their city. And God does something else supernatural. He's pouting and he's angry, waiting for the wrath of God to come down on his enemies. And God grows up this little shade plant over the top of him. It's kind of a weird part of the story. This plant grows over the top of him and gives him shade so he's not hot as he sits there and pouts and waits for fire to rain down on his enemies. And he gets a little pina colada and he's sipping, enjoying, you know, just sort of enjoying the shade for a moment. And then overnight, this little plant dies. Just as quick as it rose up, it dies. And it ticks Jonah off even more. Jonah chapter four, verse nine, he's angry. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is right, Jonah said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and there are so many animals? The end. Jonah the selfish jerk, who God says, go tell the people of Nineveh to turn. He goes the opposite direction. He causes a storm for a bunch of sailors, swallowed by a fish. He prays. He goes a second time, preaches a lame sermon. Everybody in the city starts a revival. A little plant grows up to God to show him, I love you, I care for you. And Jonah's just angry. And despite all that God does, he remains a jerk. And the book ends, and we don't really know what happens to Jonah. All we know is he's a jerk, and God is kind. And I'm like, honestly, this story is odd to me. Pastor Brad, why didn't you preach this one? I'm like, this is, what kind of crazy story is this, four chapters in the Bible? And yet there's things in here we can learn about God and about ourselves if we're humble enough to look at ourselves in the mirror. And the most profound thing, it's simple, but comes out of this text is this, God loves jerks. I mean, this is it. This is the most profound thing that can come, simple and true, that God loves jerks. 
And it's hard for me because I don't, right? Like I don't love people that are jerks, not at all. And I certainly don't think God could use jerks, but don't you see that in this story? That God not only loves Jonah the jerk, God uses Jonah the jerk to start a revival in a town. And he doesn't say to Jonah, unless you preach a better sermon, then I'll start a revival. Jonah's barely obedient and God does something through him which screams the character of God of loving jerks and using jerks. And again, if nobody's told you recently, you're a jerk. And if God loves jerks, that means he loves you. Praise God, right? And it means he loves me. That even in our greatest jerkiness, he still loves me and he's compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. When I'm a jerk, God still loves me and he still loves you. And when you turn from your evil, we learn this, God forgives. I mean, this is the opening lines of this book. God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because the wickedness has come up before me. It's like he's looking at this city and he sees all the wickedness the city is doing it rises before him, and you would think that a holy God would just look at it and send fire down. But what does he do instead? He sends a messenger to warn them. This is the character of God. He loves jerks, and he warns jerks who are living in evil. He doesn't just annihilate us. I am Nineveh. You are Nineveh. Things that we do rise before a holy God, and rather than just wiping us out, he loves us. He warns us. He reminds us of what is true. And there are times I know I'm doing wrong. What does God do in that moment? He warns me, stop, Joe. Repent of what you're doing. It's wrong. What you're doing is evil. What you're doing is disobedient. What you're doing is sinful. And he's warning us. And, and the problem with warnings is if I heed that warning and hear it over and over again, but do nothing about it, my heart gets hard. I start to get a heart that's impenetrable to what is true. And when I get a hard heart, then God has to use stronger and stronger tools to get my attention. And so the Bible says over and over again, if you hear God's warning and you repent, turn today. Don't wait. On another day, I'll change. Another day, I'll say I'm sorry. Another day, I'll ask for forgiveness. I'm just gonna keep doing this thing for a while, because what's the big deal? No. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, turn, change, repent. He takes no delight in death or destruction, sin or shame. He will use all kinds of tools to get our attention, even supernatural, that we would turn and be changed and forgiven by him, because you can run from God, but you can't hide from him. I mean, again, if he is creator and sustainer, if he is bigger and wider and stronger than any aspect of our world, then you can run, but you can't hide. And for Jonah, Jonah tries to run the other direction. And what does God do? God brings a storm into Jonah's life that threatens him and the people around him. And in that moment that the storm kicked up, Jonah could have repented and ended things fast and easy, but instead he hardened himself and it, came, it became more and more extreme because when we run from God and we disobey his commands, 
we think it's a private matter, but it ain't private. See, we think when I have evil thoughts or I disobey or I follow sexual things that I know are wrong, when I do evil, think evil, act evil, that's just my problem. It doesn't impact anybody else. Oh, no, 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 no. Not true. Sin is never private. It may be secret, but it's never private. And it impacts other people, not just you. Oh, maybe not right away, but over time, as I do what I know is wrong, and keep doing it. It doesn't just impact me. It impacts the people around me. You can run. You can sin against them as a child. But you can't hide. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. Almost like if I have great success and joy. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of if I make my bed among evil and sin and darkness, guess what? You're there too. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Interesting, right? Because when I disobey, when I'm running from God, I think no one sees, but he sees. I think it only impacts me, but it impacts others. And God will use all kinds of tools to bring me back. Are you running from God today? Are there things you know clearly that are wrong, sinful, against God's will, but you're doing it anyway? Is he just going to look the other way like he can't see it? Or does he have it like HD camera into your heart and soul and sees everything that you do and you can't hide? And do you think he's not going to discipline you at some point and bring pain and struggle into your life to cause you to turn? He loves you too much to just let you go and do whatever you want. Do you realize that sometimes it's our sin that's causing the problems in our lives? And it's so easy to go, it's the fault of the government. It's the fault of my parents. It's the fault of my boss. It's the fault of my spouse. It's the fault, the fault, the fault. You're the problem many times. And it's your sin that's bringing pain into your life. And you think no one can see it. God sees it. And he will bring discipline into your life to change you, but this has changed my world, realizing that in my darkest, deepest, shameful moments, when I think God can't see, and when I think God thinks I'm gross, he loves me and he's running towards me. In my vilest, darkest, evil moments, he is not against me, he's for me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And so he's coming towards you in your dark moments, not running away from you, stop hiding. He sees you. Stop thinking you're gross or dirty and he won't forgive you. He loves you. He will forgive you and extend grace and mercy your way at every junction. Are you willing to stop running from God and start running to God? God extends this love for me, this love to me, so that I can extend this love to other people. So throughout the book of Jonah, you see God being gracious and patient with Jonah, despite the fact that he's a jerk, and he's giving Jonah this grace and this mercy at every crossroads so that Jonah can give it to other people, not for it to pool up inside of him, for him to keep it for himself. When we withhold God's love for other people, we are disobeying God. Hear this again. 
when God has extended love and grace and mercy towards you and me, and we hold it back, and we don't extend to others, we are disobeying God. There is no neutral ground for us as sons and daughters. He doesn't extend this for you and only you, for you to get fat with forgiveness. He gives us this forgiveness that we might extend it, this love, this grace, this truth, that we might extend it to others. Jesus says something profound before he leaves planet Earth. He says to the people, go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we make that sound like it's for missionaries and pastors. It's actually super basic. It's actually for you and me, that if we've received the goodness and forgiveness and love and grace of God, he says, now go and take it to other people. How bad does America have to get before God says, I'm done. How much violence and injustice, how much chaos and confusion, how bad does it have to get for God to say, I I'm done, I, I gotta put an end to this. And what does he do? He sends you and me with the good news of Jesus Christ into the world to, bring, to be the conduit of his love and grace to other people so that this hopeless, violent, unjust world would learn of the goodness and greatness and the hope of God and we would be the agents, the prophets, the messengers that would bring this good news to other people but we're swallowing and thinking it's for ourselves. No, that is disobedience to God. I am to take his justice and bring it to other people. I'm to take his love and to bring it to other people. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean you have to have a sermon. It doesn't mean you have to have a megaphone and preach doom and gloom, turn or burn. It just means in your neighborhood and your workplace, you love people. Your neighborhood and workplace treat people with justice, God's justice, with patience and love and kindness and respect the kind of love and grace and truth that changes people, that comes from another world, comes through you to others. But if you're going to choose to keep it for yourself and disobey him, don't expect that he's gonna look the other way and not discipline you. To remind you that he's given you all of this to use it for other people, for this world, that his kingdom may come and his will would be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And this is our role on earth, that this God of the universe loves jerks like me and you. Isn't that amazing? And this God of the universe, when I turn from my evil and my sin, he forgives me. And this God, when I turn and I begin to use this love and grace towards other people, he changes the world and brings about repentance and change and revival and renewal on our planet because he sends you and me as his messengers. So let us wake up, Faith Church, and extend God's love. Let us wake up and extend his justice. Let us wake up and expend, extend his grace and mercy to others that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, please help us because we get caught running from you instead of running to you. We think that we can hide, but we can't. You see everything, even our vilest decisions and secret addictions and dirty decisions, and you love us. You don't run away, you run towards us while I'm yet a sinner, 
You sent your son to pick me up and clean me up. You want to change us, God. So may we as a family be the kind of agents of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. May we not be disobedient children that hold on to this good news for ourselves when our country and world is a dumpster fire. May we be used as your messengers, as your prophets, as your spokespeople, as agents of justice and goodness to a world that's dying and struggling, that we would see change in our workplaces and schools and our community and our families. Because as we have been forgiven, we forgive. As we have been loved, we love. As we have been served, we serve. Thank you for Jonah, the jerk because it gives Joe the jerk hope. Remind us of your love today in Christ's name.